optimistic. When I was growing up, you didn't use the word queer. It was considered the ultimate insult. But yet, here it is on a book. How in the world do you explain that? That's one of many, many different subjects that we're going to be discussing with our author this morning. The title of the book is Still on Fire, Field Notes from a Queer Mystic. Now, I think the mystic part is just as intriguing. In part, I think it's even, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to bring those two together because, but, and, and I don't have to, that's the beauty of it. We are here with the author of this book, Jan Phillips, and if you are interested in being a part of this, you can contact us, and my co-host will explain that to you. Janelle, welcome yeah. to you. Good morning. Tell, tell individuals, if they're watching us live, how they can interact with us, if they have questions or comments oh, they like to share. Oh, it's super easy. So the best way would be to text. And you can text your comments and questions to 480-389-4974. And I'm watching the texts come in, and as they come in, I will try to incorporate them into our conversation. You can also go to our Facebook and our YouTube chats and put your questions in there as well. Okay, and for those who are watching or listening to this as a podcast, how can they contact us? After the fact, you can also send us by email to media at beatitudeschurch.org. That's M-E-D-I-A at beatitudeschurch.org. And um, if you want to bypass us completely and go directly to the source of this podcast, janphillips.com. You can go to right. that website. Um, I browse through it. it. It takes actually some time to get through it all. It's a great pod, I mean, a great website. It has links to others and and here's another one you may want to try google jan phillips and you will find a wide variety of interviews that she has done over the time and before we get going into the meat of this really would encourage you to to buy this book there's not a lot of books that for me that i read in their entirety a lot of the times what i end up doing is picking and choosing choosing gleaning what i want for what i'm looking for I, I tried to do this with this book and I couldn't because once I got going, it was like, uh, in it's, fact, I beat you reading yes, you it. Yes, did. We had a little competition going on. <laughs> just, so, just gotta throw that out yeah, there. Yes, she did. But, um, but it, it's, it's a really fantastic read. And the thing that I enjoy about it is it's not only a memoir, it talks about her life, but the other thing that's quite fascinating is it's almost like you're, you're on a journey with her. And then all of a sudden, there are times when I had to stop and say, hey, Jan, Jan I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause here for a moment, and I'm going to ingest this line, um, and I'll catch up with you. Because literally, that's what happens. It is, there's little things in there that just grab you. So without further ado, Jan, welcome. Thank you. It is wonderful to have you here. And as you, as we begin, one of the things I said is queer mystic. So first of all, the word queer, like I said, I, growing up, that was a word, it was a lot like the N-word, you just didn't use it. Right. right. Terrible. And then to combine that with mystic. Terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Terrible. So quick question, was that your idea or the publishers? Totally mine, because... And they went with it. They did, which is what surprised me. You know, yeah. it took a year to sell the book, because a lot of people 
as they as the agent said these are the best rejection letters i have ever read in my life and they were great cuz th there's something wonderful about the book but the title was you know a not a deal breaker you might say yeah. mm -hmm. and it's gone through seven or eight different titles but this one i'm i'm happy with because the whole point when you write anything when we do anything it's in the service of somebody right Right. So writing this book, who am I in the service of? The young teens that are pondering suicide mm. at this moment. You know, the trans people who are just suffering so much because it has to do with our, you know, with the nature of us that's aberrant, that makes us marginal. Mm. So you wouldn't want to write a book that, I call it queer, to draw attention and to, re, and to redo the word homosexual, like we're redoing the word God right now. Mm -hmm. And so the younger one, it used to be just LGBT, right? Right. But the younger ones are taking that bolder step mm -hmm. to just be outrageous about it. And I said, oh, I like that. Because <laughs> when I was coming out, it was all lesbian and dyke. We call ourselves dyke, and, you know, and it's like, because they used to hurt us with that word. And if we make it our secret word, mm. they can't hurt us. Mm -hmm. And nobody can hurt me now with any word, but die queer, lesbian. Lesbian felt old. Gay felt not specific right. enough. Mm -hmm. And queer felt bold. Yeah, and the other one, too, for me is the gay comes with that still kind of a patriarchic yeah. feel to it. I mean, it's... How we identify men it's almost like we're going to identify the whole community in right. a masculine perspective yeah you know my question was just the choice queer mystic instead of mystic queer oh that's interesting i wondered if that was even a thought no it wasn't a thought because for me i thought well maybe she identifies more with that and she says that first and then mystic but after reading your book, I'm not so sure. No, I identify mostly with mystic. Yeah. But, but do, do you think being identifying as queer influenced the mystic side of you? Totally. So that's why, to me, they're almost inter interchangeable. If correct? I wasn't queer, I'd probably not have made it this far, mm. <laughs> you know, in my consciousness. Uh -huh. Because being in danger causes you to be way more creative to figure out how to stay safe, how not to get hurt, where to come out. You know, in the old days, I had fear. I have no fear anymore because I've lost everything along the way. Nothing mm -hmm. to lose. Mm -hmm. But people don't want to get to that point. There's got to be a better way. Yeah, and I think, wow, there's so much to get into. I mean... A big part of that, and I want to hold on this one, is a big part of that dealing with fear, I think, is God. If I believe that the ultimate parent is going to be there to, to basically do what mom and dad used to do for me, or my caregiver did for me, then I think that's really comfortable to know. But to really experience fear, I think, is a whole different aspect of life. So you brought, you brought up... Um, just now, you, you were talking about who you were, your sense of identity. And in your book on page 122, you say, one of the biggest lessons of my life I learned was I was not the problem. All my life, whenever I failed to fit in, it felt as if it was my fault. 
and then in another place you say, I'd finally separated myself from the identities others tried to give me and defined who I was for myself. So here's my question for you. Last night I was watching YouTube and little clips from America's Got Talent. And it was amazing as some of these individuals thought they were the greatest singers. I mean, they were gonna turn the world around. And then when you actually listen to them, they couldn't sing. So where is this? Is this idea, the balance between not accepting the blame of other people, but also being realistic and having that sense of self-examination. How do you bring those two together? So that, does that make sense, that question? Well, to be able to establish your own authority and be the agent, the creative agent of your own life, it reminds me of what Meister Eckhart said, the process of enlightenment or the process of finding God is a process of subtraction, not addition. Mm. Everybody's trying to read more books, get smarter, find more answers out there. But people come to me and say, what book should I read next? And I say, none. Stop reading, <laughs> right? My next book is called, gonna be called Stop Seeking, Start Finding. Right? I don't consider myself a seeker because I have found what I was looking for. Right. Right. So to reach the point where you don't care what people think. I was with people last night and they were saying, oh, I'm afraid to write a memoir because that might not be good enough. And I'm, I worry about what people are going to think about me. And mm -hmm. that's like the to me, that image is the word. I said, my father died of what will the neighbors think. That's what he died of, mm. right? So I think the most liberating thing we could do is separate ourselves out from that cultural programming mm. that says it should matter what they think about you. Yeah. But where is that balance between what others think of me and also just a realistic picture for myself of who I am. Because if you think, I think a lot of us have a perception of who we are that may not be completely accurate. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't give too much thought to who I am. I'm so busy doing what I do. Yeah. You know, and contributing. I think of myself as a cultural creator. Right. So I'm contributing to the culture. Mm -hmm. You know, San Diego looks like it looks because I live there, right? Mm -hmm. My thumbprints wherever I go. So I always think, you know, you should let, you should put the words in people's mouths, who are you? And I have tried to practice so that when people say, who's Jan Phillips? They'll come up with something like, oh, you know, she's the one that connects the dots between creativity, spirituality, and social action. That's who I am. That's all I do. I don't do anything other than that. Mm -hmm. And so you all should know, everyone listening should know, like even Jesus said, who do they say I am? Right. Right. right? <laughs> and you, you want to be responsible. Who do you think writes the bio? of the author on the back of the book. The author. Mm. The author writes the bio because you want to be known for what you consider yeah. important. 
Yeah. I was saying the other day, I was at a mall, and there was a young woman at this kiosk, and she's got this makeup, and she looks at my face, and I say, no, I, I don't need that free sample. She goes, come over here. And I had some time, and she had a chair to sit in. <laughs> so I said, all right, I'll sit in the chair, nice. right? So she I'll starts, listen, but I really want the chair. <laughs> she starts putting these like things to get rid of my bags and doing uh -huh. under my eyes and do the okay. before and after look in the mirror. And we're talking <laughs> about this. She says, what, what do you do? I say, well, I write books. About what? Oh, about creativity, spiritual intelligence, and social action, social justice. Mm -hmm. You know, and it eventually it came down to where I said, "Oh, I've you know I've performed with Pete Seeger, you know I've presented with Jane Goodall, I've sung to Gladys Knight." She goes, "Who are they?" Oh my! She never had heard. <laughs> okay. She didn't know any of those names. Wow. Yeah. And I thought, boy, that made me irrelevant <laughs> immediately. <laughs> It doesn't matter, you know what you can. What I might what consider a my claim to fame. What a great opportunity that was for you. Yeah. So how do we? How do I speak now? If I ever want to have a younger audience, uh huh. Who, yeah. How do I speak differently? Well, I think the the one thing that I noticed in the book was there is a a deep sense of self awareness. And maybe that's the difference that I see, is that when you have that deeper sense of self-awareness, then you can write the bio on the back of the book. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that, if you have this, a lot of your identity is wrapped up by externals, then I don't know if you can write your own bio. Agree or disagree? Well, you could, anyone could write a bio of themselves, but... I think the more self-awareness that one has, the truer that bio will Authentic. be, the more resonance it'll have. You know, words have power, mm -hmm. malight, you know, so it'll just have more of a, a vibration. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And I think that was the, again, I mean, there's like, there's so many little nuggets in there, but you talk about how you are always evolving, always changing. One of the things you say is there is a price to pay for being real. When we go after what we really want, others often judge. Then, then you, you, you bring in, it seems like a lot of identity, and you even said San Diego is the way it is, is because I live there. My thumbprint's all, all over the place. So here's my question for you. What do you believe are the individual role that we play in the evolutionary process? And do we have a responsibility to be authentically real, who we really are, in order to play our role in the evolutionary process? Yes and yes. Mm -hmm. And there's many people who choose not to care. And we basically then give it to other people to Those be the people, determiners. Yeah, they leave church and they think, therefore, they have left it all behind. I'm no longer involved. Mm -hmm. And that was the end of their spiritual life. Well, my church basically kicked me out, right? Correct. Yeah. And so I didn't leave church. My church left me. Yeah. But 20 years elapsed before. Uh, Psych, I call her my psychic nun friend, 
Sister Paula said to me, <laughs> Jan, your life can never be extraordinary if you don't have a spiritual practice. And it was grim news for me because I didn't want it. My life is too busy. I don't have time for spiritual practice. Yes, right. Right? So, she, so I go, oh, it can't be true. She goes, that's true. You can have an ordinary life. Go ahead, settle, have an ordinary life. But uh -huh. I'm just telling you, if you want it to be extraordinary, you have to have spiritual practice. And so I said, all right, I'll do it. What the hell am I going to do for my spiritual practice? It's not going to be hard. I'm not going to do yoga. I'm not going to get on the floor. I'm not crossing my legs like that. Yes. But I'm going to set my timers so I know when I'm done. So I said, 20 minutes is it, right? Yeah. And I knew, and I can see the image of it in Syracuse, New York. I'm in my bed. It's 8.30 in the morning. I just finished talking to her on the phone. I said, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. So the answer was, I have a little TV at the end of my bed. I'll light a candle, put it on that TV, light a candle, mm -hmm. and stare into the candle for 20 minutes. That'll be it. Mm -hmm. No books, no phones, no pool, no pets. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so it was just, I introduced myself to just a 20-minute period of time. but. This could not happen if I had been dressed already, right? Yeah, you've mm -hmm. been gone. Because I can't get to it at 3 p.m. Yeah. I only can have it be the foundation of my day because mm -hmm. that's the nature of our busy lives. Yeah. So every day since then, 1990 to now, mm -hmm. do it, did it today, do it yet, yesterday, right? And so the only thing that's changed is the time because now when I'm home... I'm there for an hour because it's so mm. dang fun. <laughs> you know, it's like a look, Emily Dickinson said, the only news I get is bulletins all day from immortality. Wow. And that's how I think it happens. I'm in my bed. Mm -hmm. I'm a satellite dish to mind at large. I'm getting broadcast to 24-7. Supreme intelligence is radiating it's love, it's beauty, it's intelligence to me. And the only time I get it is when I tune in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, remember in the old days, we're driving through Texas, and you had to keep going to your radio to get, right. you know, analog. Especially in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> and in those times where you right got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. I got nothing. Right. So I tune in. And as a result of that, the magic happens. I get to know stuff. I get to have an understanding of things. I get to feel divinity coursing through my cells. I get to understand it's here, this is it. So I always say I'm doing my prayers. I do say two old Catholic prayers that just, because it feels good to recite a poem by heart, right? Yeah. So I say those prayers, although I've changed, I've changed them dramatically so they don't insult my soul. But I say my two prayers, and then I just open up mm -hmm. to mind at large. And to, I'm a photographer, so I visualize everything. So for yeah. my visualization of that, there's, it's not a vertical experience. It's totally horizontal because I think who I'm talking to and who I'm listening to is the air that I'm breathing. Mm -hmm. It's the air in my lungs. It's the oxygen in my blood. 
It's inseparable. We're indivisible. Mm-hmm. Somebody once said God was on inaccessible, and then we find it's unavoidable. See, these are the nuggets that just... Yeah. Yeah. And you're saying that all of this arises out of this time that you... Spiritual practice. Yeah. It seeps into the whole rest of my life. So do you... Going back to kind of the... What you were talking about, the pain that you experienced, um, the hurt and facing literally coming to face with your own fears and the fear and then the the way the others were treating you and looked at you do you think if you had not crossed that you would be able to be as effective in your spiritual practice because spiritual practice requires not only well not you i'm going to rephrase this given me reading your book spiritual practice requires you to see in the wording you you would use I, I i think god within but if i can't even see myself then and that does that make sense when you go when you have this hurt in your life if you haven't processed that then the quietness is is a is a terrible thing because thoughts and emotions and feelings come up and so to have a spiritual practice without confronting those and, and healing those. And that sounds like in your book you did. Can you elaborate the, on I that? I think the spiritual practice really tones our muscles so that we're more capable of processing the pains of our lives. Because kind of the way I perceive it is that our souls caused us to take a body on, to come here to be of use. Right, so we have that mission, that purpose, that sense of intention. I want to be of use. Mm -hmm. And so the soul calls out constantly, bring me adventure, bring me experience, because that's all we have is grist. It's grist for our creative mill. It's how, what we have to work against. It's, It's how Michelangelo, it's something to chisel against to create the masterpiece of our lives. So pain and turbulence and tragedy is our raw material. Mm -hmm. But we think initially that it's happening to us. And I'm I'm in that category too. Initially I felt like this is all happening to us. I don't have any agency. But as we process it and come to the realization that that those sufferings were so that we could learn something, because mm. every processed pain equals a gem of wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a little velvet pouch, and you have your gems of wisdom that you get at the harvest of your pain. And so to perceive, to rethink what happened to me with the with the eyes of this also happened for me being kicked out of the convent yeah. didn't just happen to me mm-hmm. it happened through me mm-hmm. and for me as does all of our experiences now that's hard to say if you're dealing with a breast cancer 
diagnosis or something like that. Right. I mean, there's harder work. You just lost a baby. There's, you know, it's hard, hard work. I I'm not just sitting here saying, right. come to terms with it now, get over it, it happened on. for you, right? right? So it's easier I, you to can't fall be back ruthless. into old patterns when the fear, you want comfort. Yeah, you want comfort. And you want to run, run straight back to what you knew. But the, I had an experience with, I, uh, I, 20 years I couldn't heal from the, that tragedy of being dismissed, rejected from the convent, right? right? Mm -hmm. Worst thing that ever happened to me. And I've been shot at, I've been raped, I've had a gun at my head. I've had a lot of violence happen to me. Wow. But I still say that reject the night they kicked me out of the convent was mm -hmm. the worst thing that ever happened by ever. far and i'm only 20 years old and i don't know how to make a life and yeah. i had go i was going to be a nun since i was 12 right so i never had plan b <laughs> right so turns out i can't heal i can't heal i just i'm full of angst i'm full of anger i'm a lot of rage a lot of drinking drugs yeah. sexuality yeah, yeah. my life was a mess mm -hmm. and the church kicks me out so i don't get the sacraments nothing no spiritual life right so i go all these years not i try therapy talk therapy doesn't help i try yeah. soul retreat it's like everything you can try to see can i just get at peace with this but I didn't have the awareness yet that it happened for me and yeah. through me. Wow. So there's there, an element, when that happened, would you say there came an element of acceptance? Self-acceptance? Well, not, uh, not self-acceptance, but self-heal, but healing, uh, which is, you know, what was the what impetus? we're after. So what happened was I, I went, my novice director, the one responsible for dismissing me, was dead, long gone. Uh -huh. So I asked the woman who was the head honcho of the mother house, yeah. provincial director, Sister Marion, who, who had rotated out of leadership and now is back in Syracuse teaching chemistry or something, right? So I call <laughs> her up and I yeah. say, would you be willing to have me sit and tell you the story of what happened to me? and see if that could heal me. Mm -hmm. And she says, yes, come over to the convent, make the date. We sit in a little parlor and little uncomfortable chairs. I said, okay, here's the rules. Don't talk. Don't interrupt. I'm going to start when I was 12. I'm going to end with who I am today. And then we'll just see what happens. Mm. Mm. So... I told her about being suicidal at 12, because worst thing ever, being queer when you're little, right? Catholic. And so a nun saved my life. And so I thought, that's what nuns do? They mm -hmm. save kids' lives? I want to be one. Yeah. So I go into the convent and get kicked out after two years, because I fall in love with two sisters, right? Yeah. But one after the other, monogamous monogamous but um, <laughs> it was very innocent love there was nothing yeah. carnal about it they were very afraid that it would be sexual there was nothing sexual i'm way too emotionally immature yeah. to have that level of a relationship but yeah i was in love i was enthralled and that was dangerous so that's why i was kicked out 
So I tell the whole story and then how dark it was and going through the deep woods and I just can't get any peace and all that was so wrong. And at the end, she says, Jan, would you forgive me for this terrible injustice that was done to you on my watch? Mm -hmm. I was a little flabbergasted because I had no inclination Mm-hmm. that that would have happened. I didn't know. I expected nothing. It was just a hope. I was yeah. casting my bread on the waters, right? Yeah. So I go, yeah, I, f- I forgive you for this terrible injustice that was done to me on your watch. Mm. And then she goes, would you forgive the entire community of the Sisters of St. Joseph of Carondelet for this terrible mm. injustice that was done to you on our watch? I said, Yes, and I repeated the whole thing. I forgive the entire community. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, something happened, some kind of miracle. Yeah. And it was like in The Sound of Music when the light streams through and she breaks into song, right? And this, <laughs> the awareness that happened to me was, I said, Sister, nothing really needs to be forgiven. Yeah. What has to happen here is that I have gratitude for you all giving me the experience and the privilege of having a monastic life for two years. And you recognized that I was an eagle in a canary cage, Mm -hmm. and you let me go free. Mm. But I didn't know that. What year was this? 1990. So was, was this right before... Or right after your first spiritual practice? Right at the same time. Wow. Oh, wow. See, so you were open. Yeah. At that point. I was open. Yeah. So, man, you're talking about timing for those two events to have that conversation with this woman and then to have this experience with his sister all around the same time laid that foundation for you to build on for decades to come in your spiritual practice. Okay, we're going to move into another area of one that, wow. We We need three hours with you is what we're saying. We do. (laughs) I'll come back. Um, Please do. You are always, always welcome here. Um, The one that really I have in my own personal life has struggled with uh, since I left the denomination I grew up in was God. I remember one time I was walking in, this history professor that I taught with looked at me and he said, "Um, Tony, he said, you're afraid of God. And I said, no, I'm not. He said, yeah, you are. And I pondered that, and he was right. And so that started me in my journey of rethinking God. And the other thing that really messed up my whole view of God was reading the Bible. The more I read the Bible, the more I realized, like, oh, this isn't working anymore. This picture of God just doesn't. And I mean, I didn't read it just once. I read and read and read because I was I was trying to find something there. Mm-hmm. You came to the point where you asked one of your, and I don't know how many of these seminars that you've done this at, where you basically told them, you cannot use the word God the whole time oh, yeah. we're here. Mm-hmm. And 
there was a sense of ownership and a sense of self-responsibility it's that I heard in your writing that these individuals found. So my question for you is, in your book, you talk about God. And I, I mean, that, again, I, you got to read this book <laughs> just because of her view of God is one that will, will just flip your mind. I mean, you talk about God was not a being, but a becoming. Um, I am God to my cells, and inside my body I imagined all the people in the world. Everything that is is God unfolding, divinity materializing, yin yanging. I mean, it just... It's very ethereal. Yeah, but it's... And to it, be open to that, so, I think. So here's my question, though, is why, if you in these seminars said, hey, don't talk about God, but in your book you talk about God, why not just leave it out? I think God needs to be deconstructed. And so why? I cuz God's the problem, not the solution. And I think we have the whole concept of God because in the early days when people went to the tribal leaders to say, "What are we here for?" Right. Fear of death and all that, anxiety, and the tribal leaders didn't know any more than the rest of them, but they made up something and it finally and when monotheism came about, mm -hmm. it turned out to look like the one God. The Sistine Chapel, I think, should be covered with mirrors. Oh, wow, so, yeah. So I'm going to just push back a little bit. Is the problem God, or is the problem humanity that created the God? Yes. I think, well, religion. I would classify religion mm -hmm. as the problem, because they create all these doctrines. They create this orthodoxy. They create the dogma. Mm -hmm. Catholics are brilliant at this, you know. All of a sudden, in the 50s, there's right. the immaculate conception. It's like they just make it up. People are making these things up. Right. And so it's that doctrine that made me suicidal as an 11-year-old kid. Yeah, right. God hates homosexuals. Right. You know, you go to a gay pride today, and there's still people carrying signs, God yep. hates yep. fags. Yep. Right. Right. So, but the word God, and you just talked about it, is is rooted in theism. It's rooted in this God that intervenes in the world. Mm -hmm. The God is, and, and which, again, language does, at times doesn't make sense to me. We talk about God being transcendent, but yet God imminent, which to me is just like, uh, you know, who gets to decide when and where? <laughs> but ultimately... It's so theistic. Can we remove, can we talk about God without that kind of baggage? Or are we literally, as soon as, like, when you talk about God here, you, you do give different definitions. Like I but think, are you confusing people? I don't know. That's not my business. <laughs> <laughs> I think you really need a word. As long as I've known you, you've looked for a word. Yes. Energy. Uh -huh. All there is is energy. Oh, wait, wait, wait. As a minister, please understand, I'm supposed to get up front and say, let us pray now to energy? That's my dilemma. I see. <laughs> or let us pray to life. I mean, I see. I do uh -huh. need a job. <laughs> there was an organization in Canada. It was Atlantic Theological Education at mm -hmm. Sea or something. Mm -hmm. And they have a, it's mostly clergy mostly United Church of Canada yeah. clergy. Yeah. 
and people interested in spirituality. And mm -hmm. they come together for five or six days in Nova Scotia. And they invite people like me and other spiritual thinkers. Yeah. And so I'm there with Michael Morewood, who's a priest who was kicked out because he was too evolutionary, like Teilhard de Chardin only today. Okay. And so they invited the two of us. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is so unusual. United Church of Canada invites two Catholics. I mean, it's cellularly <laughs> installed. You're never not a Catholic, Aww. right? And has us be their spiritual mentor for the whole. Uh -huh. So we sit down at the bed and breakfast where they put us up. And Michael and me are having breakfast first morning. I said to him, Michael, I hope you don't mind that I don't... I, I don't let people use the word G-O-D. And he, he sips his tea and he looks back at me and he goes, well, I hope you don't mind. I don't let people use the word C-H-R-I-S-T. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to undo the damage that started with Paul, who, uh -huh. who gave Jesus the last name of Christ, the anointed one, because he's Greek, right? Christos. Yeah. And that starts the big problem yeah. because Jesus is the man like us. Yeah. I've often am interested. I, there's, oh, there's so many thoughts that go on in my mind. I don't tell people um, because I don't want to get in trouble. Yeah. But, and that's where the fear comes in. Yeah. So when you talk about in here, when you talk about not having fear, it's like, oh, God, when is that coming my direction? Yeah. So, but is the use of the word Christ anti-Semitic? for Christians to use it when they say Jesus Christ. Because the, the Jews aren't recognizing Christ, Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. Right. So is it in, in a way basically still being anti-Semitic when we say Jesus Christ? I don't think of it as anti-Semitic. I just think of it as old mm -hmm. and not useful yeah, but theology. If but if I'm and Jewish, but right. if I'm Jewish and, and here's the majority of people walking around and calling this person the Christ, and but that's my word. That's my, that belongs to my tradition, and you're using that. See, you're thinking about things that I don't think about, because I don't have time to address all. We have to pick our battles. Yeah, right? very true. So that's not my battle. <laughs> no, and I am so busy knowing everything I can know about my battle that I don't care if it's anti-Semitic. I never heard that expression before using the term Christ is anti-Semitic, so I've never thought about it. Uh -huh. But nor will I ever think about it again. Yeah. Doesn't that resonate. Is, that is beautiful, what you just said there. And I'm going to tie it into a quote that when I read it, it was like, this one is coming up with Jan Phillips no matter what. Mm. So here it is. This is the one that I really wanted to, I, I really want to talk to you about God, but this one. I'm glad the churches are emptying out. Page 260. <laughs> Explain. Well, there's some context in there, I'm sure. I guess. But, all right. So <laughs> I'm try I aim for non-duality, right? So they say, the Baudelaire said, true genius is the ability to have two contradictory thoughts in your mind at the same time without losing your mind. That's non-duality, and that's what... I'm here to achieve, right? So what that means is defend both sides of every issue. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Right. Listen to Fox News as long as you can for me, you know, and defend. Try to intellectually defend what they're talking about, how they're putting this out there. Mm-hmm. And do it with MSNBC and MSNBC in the same way, yes. right? So I'm glad the churches are emptying out. And I could also defend, I'm sad the churches are emptying out. But right now yeah. I'm going to defend, I'm glad they're mm-hmm. emptying out. Because I think it's an evolutionary move yeah. to realize religion is like a step stool mm-hmm. to get you up past the noise to where you see, ah, I'm part of it all. Yeah. I'm the particle version of the wave. Mm-hmm. And when energy is the waveform, that's what we think of as divinity. Yeah. And when energy is the particle, that's when we think of as humanity. So God... God, that God, divinity mm-hmm. materializes mm-hmm. and matter divinizes. So I'm matter yeah. divinizing. Uh-huh. It's all one thing. And there's no distinction in my mind. But you have to be careful because people do not want you to say, I am God. Right? right. It's yeah, blasphemous. Poly- poly- polytheism. Yeah. It's blasphemous. Yeah. To we've, hear that. We've outgrown Christianity then, yes. you think. Well, Christianity as it's been presented, yes. but Jesus is the best teacher ever. And Jesus right. and Buddha together, well, that's the whole shebang. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and a bag of chips. <laughs> so that, that's a whole other subject. You have to come back. Okay. The next time you're in Phoenix, <laughs> right. please, please let us know. We'll take a day. I'm serious. I... <laughs> Yeah, because I would love to bring you back on on here and then take you to lunch. Okay. I could just pick your brain because, you know, one of the things you talk about in the book is this idea of Jesus and living after, and I don't know if I can find that quote real quick, but uh, yeah, Margaret's sister, whose sister Robert Joseph, stood in our midst and showed us how to think and act from a moral core. She was not religious. She did not suggest we do anything for Jesus, but acted herself as he might have acted. One of the challenges, again, that I face, for me personally, is this whole idea when we talk about Jesus. I've seen it on the left, and I've seen it on the right, both sides of Christians, where they say, well, Jesus would, Jesus would. It's To me, it's almost like a lot of us saying that God would, God would, because we all we have is secondhand information written decades and you bring this out beautifully in your book mm-hmm. gotta read this book <laughs> um but you talk about this in your book you talk about how jesus was this um created by the community just like in, in ancient evolutionary process they create god they created an image of jesus so is it even wise for us today to continue to say jesus would want this jesus would have want us to do this or act this way or follow his example because it's all based upon a human creation of who jesus was in but their it's opinion still good it's good no 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 come on there's things they say about jesus that there's no way there's no way i don't think we would 
We pick and choose even when it comes to Jesus. We pick, we pick and choose the Jesus we want. So that's my question. It's is, semantics is, then again for you. No, it's not semantics. It's, it's you talk about in your book, and I find it so fascinating. You talk about in your book how we become that you found inside yourself the guide. Mm -hmm. As long as we put Jesus and God as the guide, aren't we missing out on it? Or is that too, is that too radical? I don't know. Maybe it's not radical enough. Explain. Uh, I think when you think of Buddha as a teacher, Mm -hmm. What we've got are the translations that have come down through time. Yeah. When we think of Jesus, it's only, you know, none of those, none of those, Paul, none of those writers of the New Testament were alive. It's all between 20 and 60 years after Jesus died. Right. Yeah. That they write these gospels. And... When you think of the agenda of the people that translated those texts, patriarchal, right. you know, men in charge, power, hierarchy, etc. Right. Well, I consider our I, I think it's lucky that we've got words as good as we've got that talk about good Samaritan, justice, kindness, mercy. Yeah. You can't confuse. You would never say Jesus is at a, a, a pro-life movement. You would never say that, right? Because right. Right. Jesus ha is non-dual, right? Mm -hmm. He's a non-dualist thinker. And he would find a way to take us higher than yeah. the two problems. Yeah. And so that we seek ourselves for non-duality... And then, having achieved that, mm -hmm. know that we have then a foundation of spiritual authority to trust our thoughts and our actions because we've risen above any attachment to either or. Nice. I want to end with this question. Uh, this is your opportunity to, in this question to capture what it is that's foremost on your mind right now. Because one of the things you said that there's so many, but one of the things in our discussion you talked about is you said, well, that's your passion. That's not mine. And that, that is so awesome to hear that we don't all have to go out and recruit people to have our passion. So this question is going to set you up to talk about your passion right now. And the question is, what are your top three concerns for humanity right now? Well, I think that we've created a social institution of racism that we have no idea how to undo because whites are not invested in the undoing of it because whites rule and we like it when we rule and we have no awareness of what it feels like to be a victim. Just like men, hey, patriarchy's okay, because they're in charge. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not gonna find many men carrying down with patriarchy signs, because it's to your advantage, and only women really can speak to the, you know, 
the tentacles, the reach of it, the ways we're silenced because of it. So there's a consciousness that I think we want, we're striving to be aware of how did this get, our country is founded on it. Yeah. So we're in deep trouble right now because it's all we know. And we have so misinformed ourselves that, you know, after George Floyd, after Ahmaud Arbery, after Breonna Taylor, everybody I know has a stack of books by their bed to help us understand white privilege. <laughs> right? Very true. Trying to understand white privilege. But to me, that is the biggest problem culturally that we have. The, the problem is people, I think that nobody, that few of us are being, are learning how to master the art of creating our lives. Because perpetually kids are introduced to it like, hey, it's coming at you like, a hurricane, mm -hmm. you know, here's how to protect yourself. Reactive. Yeah. yeah. Instead of saying, honey, here's how it works. The thought gets imprinted from out there in the spirit world. Many, many thoughts all day long. And the ones that feel good, that make you get excited and happy, mm -hmm. you bring down like a balloon on a string. Mm -hmm. And you bring it down and then it comes towards your heart. And when it's in your heart, you begin to feel like what it would feel like if that thing happened. And then you start to talk about that thing happening. Mm -hmm. And then you wake up and you're in it. You've made it happen. That's so exciting. <laughs> right. You want to go live in Hawaii? I'll tell you how. You want to go around the world for a year on $5,000? I'll tell you how. Yeah. It's right. the same formula. <laughs> but desire and passion are involved. And that's why I think, I can't, I think you Ukraine all the time. And I just am like, I'm not evolved enough to know the solution yeah. to that, right? Because it's a collective evolution, and I'm out there wanting it so bad. Yeah. But I am evolved enough to know to how to address the problem at the source. Mm -hmm. And if we work with our kids, mm -hmm. then there's hope, right? Mary. You talked earlier about when you talked to this um, woman at the mall and you felt, felt irrelevant you, and you asked yourself, what could I do to... I think there's a message in your book that brings together science and spirituality in a way that, that I've rarely seen. And you talk about that each of us have a role to play in evolution and that each one of us is unique and has this unique role to play. Jan, young people need that today. They, my grandchildren right. need to hear that today, that if they are not authentic to who they are, that the whole universe is gonna miss out. 
that we will not evolve in the way that we could have. And why we are leaving this up to a few people to get to make the calls and the rest of us are morphing into um, whatever they want us to be. I, I, that to me, Jan, is a message that when we see these young kids um, struggling with their sense of identity, you got it. And age is not the barrier. Your, your message is, is so powerful in that area. You know, I think that we've been trained against joy. Mm. The churches have done a really big job yeah, of listen that. Yeah, to, listen to our hymns. Right. <laughs> so, but I think joy is the thing to follow, right? Go after it. Seek it. And so my kind of formula for how to fix things personally and politically and socially yeah. is to take a look at what your heart's desire and what your heart's break. And if you look at what your heart's desire, it's like, what do you love to do? What would you do if you won the lottery? What do you do in your vacation, right? Mm -hmm. It might be golf, might be bowling, it might be climbing mountains, whatever. That's your heart's desire. What's mm -hmm. your heart break? And this is a little bit like when I just said, I am, I'm not in that. I don't care about that. Because you, you could look at 30 big social issues right now. Yes. I would say race. You would say puppy mills. You would say Pr plastic in prison. the ocean. Prison. Then that's your heartbreak. Yes. And then we figure out how to put those two together. So, right? Yes, yes. And that, yes. To, that to me <laughs> is the role of the church. I see so many churches trying to get everyone filtered into one direction. So like, okay, our social justice issue is this, this, and this. Everyone's got to filter into that. Why don't we do what you just said? I'm sorry, I get too excited. But, but seriously, if we could inspire people to find what, is, what breaks your heart, where is your passion, and are there like-minded people in our church, and there's plenty of nonprofits out there mm -hmm. that are working in all these areas that we ought to inspire them to plug into those. Why do we feel this need to continue to create something that, I don't know, but that's my own bandwagon there. That, right. Jan, thank you <laughs> so, so much. Hey, this has been a hot opportunity. This was far more <laughs> than uh, promoting a book. I mean, but again, I am going to promote the book because <laughs> like I said, there's, um, I'm a reader. I love to read. It is, it's one of my, honestly, it's one of my spiritual exercises because it's where other people's, some, you know, you talked about these thoughts coming down. Sometimes those thoughts come from this direction and you were one of those well, for great. me. And so this book does that. It gives you something to chew on. It gives you something to not only intellectually challenge you, but to spiritually challenge you. And so you are always always welcome if you're ever in the phoenix area we would love to have you back um <laughs> good just a deal just amazing and if you're listening to this podcast you got to go back and watch it because there's two things that i noticed about jan first of all she talks a lot with her hands and you're going to miss that if you're just listening to it in your ear second of all she's got one of the prettiest smiles i've ever seen so <laughs> Thank you so, so That's much fun. for being a part of it. Okay. For those of you who have been watching, thank you. And those of you who are here live with us, again, thank you for being here. And we look forward to seeing you in a week 
where we will take ruminate on that and we'll be back in two weeks for Monodia. So no matter what you do, enjoy your day and stay safe out there. Oh, real quick, go ahead. There's a meditation, yes. I believe, that There's if you want to stick around for. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> Jan got me flustered. I'm <laughs> like, not her. <laughs> Take care. It's always good to know who to blame. <laughs>